0: Well, welcome to the Movements Podcast. I'm Steve Addison, and today I'm going to be speaking with Nathan in India. So, uh, welcome, Nathan. Good to hear your voice.
1: Oh, thanks, Steve. I'm glad and, to be with you.
0: And Nathan, how, how long have you been in that part of the world?
1: Well, uh, we, my wife and I met in this part of the world before we were married. We've been married for uh, nine years now. Mm-hmm. So I first came to uh to India and Nepal in the year 2000. So it's been 12 years on and off.
0: Okay. And and what what brought you to that part of the world?
1: Well, the truth is just the uh the apostolic calling to to be on the edge, to be uh initially uh involved where there was no foundation. I just uh some fellowship with Paul and that desire and vision to, to plant the kingdom and push the kingdom in places where it hasn't been. And that means taking the enemy's ground. And I can't think of a, a place where the enemy's work is so blatant and obvious than uh, perhaps India. And uh, David Garrison used to say, if you want to be a missionary, it's a place to miss."
0: You know? <laughs> now say that again, if you want to be a missionary,
1: David Garrison used to always encourage us, uh, saying, "To if you, if you really desire to be a missionary, then then India is the place to miss." Ah,
0: oh, okay.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and what what is the need in in India? You say it's you say we want to go to where the gospel isn't. I mean, what you know, in terms of the parts of that that part of the world that you're involved in, what what what's the need there?
1: Well, there any way you slice the the Great Commission, you look at people groups, you look at uh, geography, you look at just vast numbers of lostness people that haven't heard the gospel. Any any way you you quantify the Great Commission, you're going to be led to India. When we talk about unreached, unengaged people groups, uh, India carries 70 percent of the UUPG population. Not necessarily 70 percent of the people groups, but the largest. UUPGs in the world, by population, are here in India. Uh, If you want to look at geography, places where uh, the gospel has not been heard, just vast fields of of untouched lostness, Um, northern India is going to be the epicenter. And all those things pull us, you know. For that matter, uh, the places where perhaps the glory of God is most directly and publicly challenged uh, through just the, the Romans 1 uh, issues, if I can say it that way, that are so prevalent in some of the world religions right here in India. You're, you're talking about the epicenter.
0: Yeah. And what is it that God's called you to India to do?
1: Well, that's a that's a great question. I think He's called me to India... Ultimately, uh, to shape me and sanctify me. Along the way, I've learned some lessons about what it's going to take uh, to reach a place like this. And a lot of it is a matter of cutting certain things out of my heart, loving God with my mind, taking thoughts captive, making them obedient to His Lordship. Uh, All those things have pushed me away from self as strategy, uh, toward uh, just a catalytic view of the kingdom of God, and I think that's ultimately where, where he's led us in our, in our personal walk, in our vision of ministry. We're here to catalyze church planting movements across North India and the nations that, that are nearby.
0: Okay, so your, jo- your, your calling, apart from or related to your calling to, to, to grow in Christ, is mm-hmm. your specific task is to be a catalyst for church planting movements. That's
1: right, and if I can just take a second and, and detail that a little, when I when I first came in two thousand, my vision was my calendar. The truth is, as, as just a young guy, uh, on fire for the Lord, I really hadn't, I didn't carry the ability to look beyond myself. So my giftings, my calling, my calendar were the strategy. You know, I worked as hard as I could for two years, learned language, pursued we. A couple national partners went deep with those brothers and in, in just our walk, and we saw three churches started in the first two years of our ministry. fact is i I finished that first term of service and realized Nepal, uh, where I was serving at that time, wasn't different. it wasn't changed. my calendar, my abilities, my gifting we poured out everything. I can't think of anything more I could have done, but the fact is I wasn't the plan I wasn't the god's uh chosen instrument for the Great Commission in that place. and reevaluating, looking at that again, I had to start thinking catalytically, I had to start realizing that that the disciples were the plan, the John 14 vision that disciples would do greater and more things. Uh, And it reshaped everything we we focus on, how we spend our time, how we how we view our disciples, how we view the fields and what it will take to to reach all of North India. Ultimately, our disciples and, and chains of disciples uh, that go out and do greater things than we've done. That's got to be the plan, and that that's what I mean by catalytic vision. That that uh, we would think and make plans greater than ourselves. I'll just take another second to say, uh, mm. God used Second Corinthians, uh, chapter nine is actually about the giving of the offering. You remember that passage, yeah. Stephen? collect mm. Collecting it for Jerusalem. You know, one of the passages there it says, "Whosoever." sows sparingly, will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should decide in his heart what he'll give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And then a verse that changed my life. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I think I realized I was making plans on something less than God's grace. My ability, my calendar wasn't enough. I've learned the discipline, I believe, and try to cast that vision in our training. Make your plans, set your goals, set your calendar based on God's grace. And you'll find yourself setting larger goals, setting God-sized plans. uh, And ultimately, uh, your faith will grow because His grace never fails.
0: So, Nathan, one of the, well, probably our focus for this this first in the series of podcasts is... Uh, what what you've called, uh, or what you and others have called, end vision. And as, as you've, uh, you know, unpacked some of your journey, it seems to me uh, it's more than just uh, some numbers on a bit of paper or a nice vision statement. It sounds like for a number of years on the field, um, you were wrestling with God, God was wrestling with you, something was happening in your heart to, uh, so that, you know, your vision expanded as your awareness of your limitations grew and, and your focus shifted off yourself to, uh, to God's grace. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that, is that sort of one of the things you've learned about that, that whole, end, you know, how an end vision grips us?
1: Absolutely. I think uh, people, are, people are driven by one thing or another. If, if they're driven by needs or they're driven by vision. And I think if, when we're driven by needs, we look at typically uh, the things right in front of us. I think we're that much more susceptible to make plans based on our abilities, based on the, the resources that are right there in front of us. And typically that's our calendar, our gifting. So a needs-based vision... Or needs, excuse me, a needs based uh, planning typically will will look at local resources that are already in your hand. If your vision is, or if your you're scheduling, your planning is based on vision and, and envisioning God's vision for the fields, then suddenly you're looking at resources beyond your control. Uh, and, and ultimately you're pushed to the grace of God as the source, just like 2 Corinthians 9 tells us.
0: And so this is not just coming out of some uh, planning process. I know you you do involve yourself in careful planning, but this is your journey. You're already you're trained. You're on the field. You've planted churches, but that's preparing you in a sense to to leave behind just your own achievements. And cast yourself on God for something far greater than what you can achieve.
1: That's the hope. I think that's the prayer. And, and once that becomes the flavor, once that becomes the, the purpose that gets you out of bed, mm. uh, you're suddenly willing to release. Suddenly you see empowering disciples and pushing His kingdom as, uh, as the priority, as opposed to what we see in so many places, uh, a building of our own kingdom, a building of our own voice. Uh, building of our own uh, influence, uh, transitioning to the kingdom and His purposes, uh, I, I think it demands a view of His grace. That, that, and that's what you fall in love with. You see Him move, and you'll never go back to, to what you can accomplish. Yeah. You see the Lord move. You see the Lord do things that, uh, you know, your E320, greater than you could ever uh, imagine. Ask or imagine. You see something like that happen, and you'll, you'll plan differently. You'll uh, strategize differently. Uh, and ultimately, your faith grows. In that.
0: Well, I'm, I'm picking up a third thing. You know, one, one thing you've mentioned is, uh, despite some really encouraging progress, I mean, it's great. Three churches got planted, but you began to realize your best efforts were not enough. Uh, second thing is you 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 began to see the grace and the might and the power of God and to cast yourself on him but there's a third element now i 'm realizing is uh out of that you the you began to see his his people new believers existing believers who were the key to fulfilling the vision that God was putting on your heart
1: absolutely um in vision is all about stewardship. And, and I'll, I'll say that we might need to revisit that thought and along the way. But as you catch a vision for God's vision, for God's envision, what He plans, what He's purposed in this world, you have no choice but to reevaluate your view of the resources that He's provided. And, and stewardship immediately comes into, into play. How you view disciples how you, how you, are they disciples or are they seed so? You know, are you looking at grain as the as the fruit of the harvest, or do you see seed? Uh, it's the old uh, apple versus an orchard view. When you look at the apple, do you see the the, the potential snack, or do you see an orchard wrapped up in those seeds? And uh, you know, all the way down the line to looking in in, in my home church in the U.S., uh, we we have a vision for discipleship when. In fact, uh, some of the many of those disciples, we would never consider them church planters. And ultimately, it's because our vision uh, is limited. Who can and who can't? Mm. That type of question. uh, Who can and who can't share the gospel? Who can and who can't plant a church? Who can and who can't disciple new believers or host a church in their home? All those things are bound into this conversation of envision. You know, uh, Steve, if we... If our envision vision is to plant one church, then our, we'll look at the resources and we'll invest in bricks and mortar. Yeah. You know, we'll invest in things that we can see and put our hands on. If our end vision is a thousand churches across a state or across a, a broad field, uh, you, obviously your view of the resources is going to be different. You're going to invest in seed sowers. You're going to invest in leadership multiplication. Uh, you're going to invest in families that would be willing to utilize their home yeah. as the plan, as the venue for church. Uh, how you, how you know, how you see the the end game, the end vision, and the plan. Uh, huge implications for stewardship. The plans you make, how you use the resources you have.
0: So the the greater the end vision, the more the end vision reflects the grace and glory of God. Uh, the The more willing you become or you have to become to release ordinary people to do uh, amazing things
1: that's right that's right. Uh, let me give you just a practical example. We've mentioned India as our location hmm. uh, it's it's public domain the the through the census to look at a state like uh, Bihar, for example you've got the graveyard of missions in the hmm. past and so. In the past, most of the end vision, if you will, for most families and, and workers from outside who would target Bihar, uh, a lifetime spent planting one church is success. Hmm. We survive, you know, there's, there's fruit existing at the end of our investment. That's success. These days, we've got an incredible receptivity in the state of Bihar. So we were led when we first began looking at the state of Bihar and considering what the, the envision should be. Uh, we we caught, we looked at the census data 2000 and then more recently the 2010 census and and uh, you know realize that the state of Bihar very quickly has uh, in 2010 census a hundred million people they crossed a hundred million um, people uh, for population in that state and it's still the least percentage of Christianity in the nation so we're talking about point zero six percent. Now those stats don't mean a lot other than you realize why it's the graveyard. It's it's definitely uh, bringing up the rear as far as responsiveness historically. But you take those numbers captive, you look at that through the, the lens of the grace of God and what resources He has available and you realize that point zero six percent of 100 million is more than 50,000 believers uh-huh. in the state of Bihar. Now looking at it and got through God's vision and looking at the resources through God's purposes first Timothy 2 he wants all men to believe second Peter 3 that none should perish but all should come to the repentance you look at that through God's lens and, uh, and through the abilities of his grace and suddenly you see a 50,000 man standing army that needs to be trained and needs to be equipped you you stop looking at them as a minority and you start looking them, at them as potential seed sowers. Let's put tools in their hand. Let's put seed in their hand. Let's, let's envision them. Let's show them the field and push them out. So the strategy for a Bihar is not what would it take to start a church. The strategy for Bihar, based on just applying some simple envision and, and, and a, a faith that the grace of God and his purposes will be accomplished in that state, the the question becomes how do we mobilize fifty thousand seat soldiers? How do we push these brothers into the a right understanding of the, the discipline of representing God as priests in his kingdom? And,
0: and so the the, we'll see. the the growing envision um also shapes the desperation when it comes to strategy. That it yeah. creates a sense of urgency about what you're doing. Um, and But you've turned that not into despair, but, well, what do we start with? Well, we can start with uh, the believers that are there. And if we can mobilize them, um, we can have an impact in this part of the world.
1: That's right. That's right, Steve. Uh, you're... Once God is the, once you take a look at God's envision and choose faith, uh, you're going to start looking at resources different. And first of all is His grace, right? Yeah. Let me uh, you know uh, in 2001, uh, David Garrison came through South Asia and uh, he spent seven years really focused on, on the same area of the world. Uh, from that time, he uh, every time I was around him back at 2:14 was coming from his lips. That the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. He used to say that South Asia will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. And just, just taking that truth into our heart, taking that truth into our strategy, that his glory is already here. The knowledge of that glory is what we're pointing at. The knowledge of, our, of that glory is our goal. And, and the fact that we have these incredible promises throughout Scripture. Uh, we look again at uh, so many people quote Matthew 24, verse 14. When, when Jesus is des- describing to his disciples elements and, and signs of the end, he concludes with verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I, I don't know anybody who would define or, or describe anything better than Jesus' return. I mean, if... The greatest thing that could happen in the next 10 minutes, Jesus returns. We, we hear the trumpet, we see the cloud. Well, he directly promised us in Matthew 24. It's a promise. This will not take place until all nations have heard. And, and this gospel has rung out in all of the world. So there's a geographic component. There's a people group aspect. Ponte to ethne, all the ethnics right there in that verse. They will have exposure. Well, that should shape our envision. That should shape our our daily routine. That should shape our view of the resources. If all of Bihar is going to hear the gospel, uh, we're not just looking for a radio program that can beam it out over uh, the whole state. We're talking about the chance to respond. And that requires that we mobilize those sowers. That requires that we think bigger than ourselves. And... uh, that requires that we move and act in faith. That's, that's the root of envision. Yeah. You know, it concludes in Revelation 5. Most people look at chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. I, I actually love uh, chapter 5 of Revelation. It says uh, something amazing about the throne room of God. Can I just read that to you? Yeah. It says, it "Sing it a new song." Verse nine, Revelation five nine. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And your blood, with your blood, you purchased men from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. That that ought to get you out of bed in the morning. You know, every every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all the ethnic's will have a chance. Well. If that's the truth that we're all moving toward, if that's the the answer to the question where are we going, then that's going to shape the how. How do we get there? You know,
0: Nathan, have you got a a handy definition or just compact uh, description of what end vision is?
1: Well, to to I, I haven't been asked that directly hmm. so much. Uh, most of the people we train are. The envision is caught as much as thought, you know. Mm. But uh, I would just say the envision is where are you going. How's that? Okay. Where are you going? What's your purpose? What's your what's your goal? And uh, again, it must be defined, not based on our plans, our abilities. But what when we ask the question, "Where is God going?"
0: Mm.
1: What is where is where is His destination?
0: Mm.
1: Scripture has a, a lot to say on that topic.
0: So it's seeing it's seeing the end, or it's it's maybe more than where are you going? It's it's uh, what what is God's plan and purpose for this people group, this city, this place? What does it look yeah. like for God's will to be fulfilled? And then, I mean, just sort of drawing this from what you've told me, then. Um, how do I align my life with that, not just in terms of what I can do, but how I can train, mo- mobilize, uh, be a catalyst for the whole body of Christ being engaged in God's mission?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the first people we ever heard teach on InVision, uh was named Bruce Carlton. Uh, Jeff Sundell, our good friend, always refers to Bruce as a mentor. And uh he, he did a training, used to call it Acts twenty nine, you know, the
0: yeah.
1: end of Acts ends open ended, that the the gospel was unhindered in Rome through Paul's preaching and so Acts twenty nine, one of the sessions that that uh that Bruce Carlton used to bring us uh was this was titled envision and he would ask us to write out a, a description. Uh if God's will is accomplished in your target, whether that's a people group, a city, a, uh uh you know, a state, what, whatever segment of society you're targeting, then he would ask us, how many fields do you need to enter? How many people need to hear the gospel? Uh, what, will, what will the average disciple look like? What will the, the churches look like? And by look, he means how will they function? What will authorities need to be vested? Uh, and, and having, what will the leaders look like, you know, for that matter? Uh, having thought those questions through, uh, then suddenly we recognize and we begin to work backwards and see certain barriers in our thinking or in our tradition, uh, in our vision, ultimately, that, that need to be addressed uh, in order to move toward those elements, move toward those, that picture of the disciples, the fields, the churches, the leaders. Uh, that, uh, it's that wig take question. What's it going to take to accomplish that vision? And, and we used to, he used to have us write it out. And we'd write some people would write 10 or 15 page papers of what the churches would look like and what the believers would look like and what society would look like, transformed by the gospel and by these through these churches.
0: Okay and so I'm, I'm here another element now that end vision is, is not is not only that, that picture of uh, the future from God's point of view, what's on God's heart. But it also uh, moves quickly into a concrete uh, plan in terms of your partnership with God to see that reality uh, come about. And I suppose that leads us. And in, in, in successive podcasts, we'll we'll talk about what you've described as the um, uh, the five parts to a, a church multiplication plan. So you've you've got your end vision, but Flowing out of that is some some concrete planning, where you're working back backwards to where we are now and what it's going to take to get there. Is that right? Is That's that right. how the planning yeah. fits in?
1: A lot of the uh, the envisioning instruction or uh, teaching that I've set under and that we've used with, I think I could say thousands now, uh, is really about the brutal facts. Looking at the the concrete numbers, and then asking that tape question: What's it going to take to accomplish this? And you have to get to action steps. This is not for uh, a think tank somewhere. These are. This is for the practitioner. That they would, uh, if they know how many people, if they have a basic census data, what's the population? We mentioned a hundred million in Bihar. Well, we're talking about a hundred million gospel presentations. Ultimately, how are we going to share the gospel with that that number of people? If you're not going to share the gospel, Habakkuk 2.14, the knowledge of the glory of God, isn't going to to be possible. If you don't share the gospel, uh, God's will that none should perish won't be accomplished. So what's it going to take to get the gospel to that population? Uh, And ultimately, they, they feed on each other, those parts. The gospel requires disciples. And disciples require community. And leadership won't be developed without that community Pushing responsibility and authorities to the edge of the work—all those five parts or those elements of a church planting multiplication plan, as you just described it—they flow out of envision. Absolutely.
0: And just uh, what? Just uh, give us what are the key headings that describe that describe the five parts of a multiplication plan?
1: Well, those are how, really they surround questions. How do we enter a new field? Mm -hmm. secondly how do we sow the seed how do we share the gospel as the as the seed sprouts and grows how do we nurture and make disciples Uh, next as we cut and gather how do we how do we form the church and then from the church how do we multiply leaders that can go out season after season and and reproduce Uh, steve we've had a lot of fellowship you and i in the past just talking about the the parables of the kingdom that, that so often deal with farming. And uh, that's it. The, the farmer has to enter a field. The farmer has to sow the seed. The farmer is going to nurture the new growth. The farmer is going to cut and bundle that growth. And the farmer is going to take that, those resources from the harvest, be that grain or seed, and they're going to multiply in the future years. All of that, you realize all of those elements... In the farmer's mind and heart, have to begin with a vision, right? He's not going to sow the seed. A hungry man, what? Why would a hungry man sow the seed if he doesn't have a vision for feeding his children next year, for feeding the next generation? He has a vision for harvest, and he believes that that harvest can multiply, just as his family is going to multiply over generations and uh, and provide what's needed in the future. That's it. It all begins with envision.
0: Yeah. And just some of the things that I've I've picked up as you've talked about envision, Nathan. One is that for those of us that maybe we're we're already in ministry, we're already signed up, and we're feeling like yeah, but how do you get it? Um, you've said it's, there's there's a journey here. It 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 it. I'm sure you came to India with with some form of envision but it was only as in obedience. You dived in, uh, you engaged. Over a period of years, you learned some things. You also got frustrated, and and God moved in on your heart. And then there was some sort of paradigm shifts to expand your vision, to help you see the resources in the body of Christ. Um, The other thing I heard, Nathan, was uh, it wasn't just, um, you know, uh, some sort of mystical thing where, you know, it dropped in on you, but you've also read the scriptures, you've, you've, you've quoted everything from, and we say Habakkuk, <laughs> Americans say That's Habakkuk, so, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure the Aussies will have worked it out. But everything from uh, Habakkuk right through to Revelation, you've allowed the scriptures to inform uh, what should my end vision be, what is God's purpose for the world. And for this part of the world, he's placed me in it. And then the other thing I'm sort of hearing is, um, as the end vision becomes clear, you start getting very concrete about what are the, the activities we need to be engaged in. And that's where it flows into the, you know, our next five topics will be uh, the five parts of a multiplication plan. Is, is that, is that a decent I, summary? Because i I yeah, found this very helpful.
1: I think uh, you you asking the question, how do you describe it? What is end vision? Um, all of our so many times, and in, in, in the process in my own heart, I started, Steve, with how. I realized so much of what I envisioned for a, li- a life well spent in ministry dealt with the how. How will we do these things? It's the wrong starting point. Hmm. The question should be where. Where are we going? And, and if, when you define that, that, that question will lead you to Scripture, as you just described. When you define the, the end vision by where are we going, you're going to unlock so much content in Scripture, so many promises in Scripture, that God has a very definite direction. His kingdom only knows one direction. It's advanced. It's moved to the end of geography, to the end of ethnic groups, to the end of time. And having defined it based on God's picture, God's answer to where are we going, the how is totally transformed. And that's what I was speaking of and referring to with our vision of the resources, how we view disciples, how we view uh, churches, uh, those kind of things. You know, how we view the kingdom parables. Uh, It's not just about one man's salvation. It's the kingdom of God. you know, if, if the, I'll just say it again, Steve, another way, and perhaps uh, if the farmer has a vision for going to bed full, he's only going to see grain. He, it, the fruit of his previous labor is food, you know, and so he's going to eat and he's going to go to bed. If his vision, that's a, that's a needs based vision. I'm hungry, I'm going to eat these resources. You look at a, if a farmer has a vision for, and has a, a vision driven direction, Uh, then he's going to look at that and instead of seeing grain, he'll see the seed. He'll look at his field and see potential. And he'll be motivated, lightly motivated, to move out into the field and invest that seed. That doesn't come if he's ruled by his appetites, you know. Mm. He's not going to spend time cooking the grain in the kitchen. He's going to spend time in the field sowing the seed. And uh, ultimately, he's going to multiply because of that. I think uh, that wrestling match that starts in our heart is our, is our stewardship. And, and ultimately, that's how we would describe our ministry. The reason we've gotten to CPM in different fields uh, through disciples and through believers is uh, just the taking of our thoughts captive, that, that God is doing something bigger than us. God is, is, that purpose is greater than our calendar, our ability. And thus, we need to look at our disciples as the key resource and when we when we do that, we begin to, to push them forward. We begin to empower them. We begin to to pass authority instead of holding it, and uh, responsibility. Uh, suddenly, we have a, a new vision of priesthood of every believer, and uh, because the fields and the task is greater than ourselves, that's envision. That's the yeah. thing people need to wrestle with.
0: Well, Nathan, you've helped us not just to that you would teach us Envision, but I think we've caught some of it. And uh, I think uh, wherever we are in the world, there's some places that are a long way geographically and culturally from India, but uh, each of us have to wrestle with that same question. And uh, so how about I pray and pray for the people listening in. it has been very helpful. And next uh, next time we talk, we'll be talking about Entry strategy, how to, um, how to move into an unreached field. Well, Lord, we thank you for Nathan. We thank you for the things you've taught him. Thank you that uh, when he's uh, run out of resources and ideas, uh, you've stepped in. And, uh, Lord, you've uh, worked through his weakness to reveal your power. And we ask that, Lord, for everyone listening, that uh, we would wrestle with you over what it is you're wanting to do in our city, in our town, our suburb, or amongst the people you've called us to reach. Lord, would you uh, keep us awake at night, agitated over people's lost condition and over the riches that they can have in Christ? Would you make us desperate, as you've uh, made Nathan desperate, to... Be catalysts to equip and encourage and train your people, new believers, existing believers, uh, to go and win their world for Christ. And uh, so we commit these things to you, Lord, wherever we are on the journey. We pray you would take what Nathan shared and um, and write it on our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.